You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since everybody welcome to the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema yeah all right <laughs> it's sammy and willie here back with you to talk about movies baby yeah i gotta tell you something off the air by the way <laughs> i just remembered <laughs> but wow what a way to open the show i'll let you know when we're done <laughs> all right um so here we are uh, back for another round of uh, movie uh, love, and we're talking uh, Deep Cover from 1992. Yeah, 1992. Directed by Bill Duke and uh, starring one Lawrence Fishburne and uh, Jeff Goldblum. And uh, this was Will's selection this uh, this week. Um, kind of came out of left field. I didn't expect this one. I thought he was going to pick a couple other things. He kind of ran some things by me, and then he... He plops this one on me, which is cool because I had not seen this since the VHS days. I haven't watched it, and I got a little story to kind of go behind it, and I'll talk about that when we do the review. So, Very nice. Yeah. Felt like flipping that script. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We flipped it a little bit. Did a little flipping and maybe some flopping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Flippy floppies. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see here. I know we got a voicemail this week because we got it last week when we were recording, right? So... Let me see if I can cue that up for us. I'm pretty sure it's from Walt, the uh, the minute uh, the one minute man, uh, Walt himself. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Let's see here. All right, this is exciting. I know, guys. I know it's exciting stuff. Here we go with the messages. Here they are. All right. His, uh, e- his voicemail is called, Rest in Peace Meatloaf, A Vampire Sucking on a Bloody Pinball Tommy. Can you hear me? Walt's uh, very creative with the titles of his uh, voicemails, which we appreciate. So here we go. Let's see if you can hear this. Let me know if you can't. Gentlemen, it's Walt, the one-minute man. You may have heard the recent uh, story about China wanting to censor the ending of 
Fight Club, and there was so much outrage and gnashing of teeth. How can they do this to such a classic movie? <laughs> and I say, great start. I hope they can approve the rest of that lousy movie, too. Ouch. Ah, unpopular opinions aside, uh, I recently picked up the Blu-ray of a movie called Nightmare Weekend, and... Uh, yes. You know, I did my research, and I think I'm going to like the movie. But I got to say, uh, the cover art—it looks like a vampire sucking on a bloody pinball. You know, <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm repulsed. I'm not sure. My question: bad cover art. Examples. What do you guys think? Thanks a lot. Poor Walt. He sounds like he's a little under the weather there. Walt, I hope That's you feel true. better. I hope you feel better, Walt. Hot shower, man. Yeah. Hot shower. Loosen it up. Hot shower, maybe a hot toddy. Not our toddy, but a hot toddy. A hot toddy might be available for weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he might be. You just got to you know, reach out to me. Maybe I can put you in contact with hot toddy. Uh, uh, back cover art. Uh, this this opens up a, uh, well, a Pandora's box. There's a lot of those out there. Yeah, there's, there is. I'm looking at this cover he's referring to. That's a terrible cover. I mean, it's really, really bad. Um, you know, one that comes to mind very quickly is uh, Almost Human from last week. Not, uh, yeah. Not, not like the Locandina, like not the Italian art. But yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that one they, where they sold it as almost like this alien movie on VHX, VHS box art. Most people are familiar with it. It's got this kind of weird yellowy greeny writing with this like hovering alien head. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's a really terrible, really misleading cover. And that's anyone who grew up in the era we did. It was a classic, uh, a classic move to kind of reshoot covers of like late 60s, early 70s films with like an 80s white snake girl and on a, like a stage. And there's just a lot of bad covers. I'm going to try to think of some. Can you think of any that really jump out at you as uh, being like just terrible? Oh, the the news. This was in our, our group today. And I, I've always agreed with this before I... I let you run with this. The Blu-ray cover for Near Dark sells it as like Twilight, which is ridiculous. Oh yeah, yeah. The remake covers those. Yeah, some of those are are really bad, and obviously they're just doing it to kind of re-sell the movie, right? The Near Dark one has never made any sense to me, though. I mean, it's it's a no. terrible, terrible cover. Maybe the worst revamp cover. My daughter's trying to grab the microphone. Hello. <laughs> there we <Hi>. go. <laughs> so. Yeah, one that uh, doesn't talk, like I said, one that doesn't talk much and one that talks too much. Um, I, it's hard for me to think of one off the top of my head. I will say that I don't like the deep cover poster that they came out with this movie. I will say that back a long time ago. I never liked it. I never liked the, uh, the red fish burn. Um, oh, yes. I didn't mind it. But, yeah, yeah it's definitely not. Uh, I mean, it's not next know. level bad. It's nothing like that. <laughs> and I guess, yeah, we've seen some next level bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of the ones that come to mind for me pretty quickly are usually the kind of, I mean, they're bad, but I love them because they're bad. They're usually the post-apocalyptic Italian stuff. Yes. Like, there's one, I can't remember the name of the movie, is it called Endgame or something? Or something with a guy with a fist that's got, like, steel claws or something? Oh, I know the one you mean. Yeah. <clears throat> the great thing about a lot of those Italian movies is they really oversold the the film. Yeah, like exterminators of the year three thousand or two thousand. A lot of them just rotor. I mean, all of them just they oh really oversell the film. Yeah, in game it's a uh, in game Bronx Salata Finale, Joe yep. D'Amato, and uh, 
it's a it's a it's a pretty rough one uh, as far as covers go. Even as far as Italian, um, apocalyptic, low budget cinema goes, it's bad in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, I mean, teach their own, obviously, but that that that's the one. The one I'm thinking of this in game one. It's the one where he he almost kind of looks like he's got a cage on his head. He's got like a He-Man body, and he's got some kind of it looks like a net. Looks like he's got a net down there. Maybe I should like it more. I don't know. Maybe we need it, to cover it's this. It's got all the ingredients, but it just doesn't gel the way it should, I guess. But I think one of the big things I have a problem with, it's a few things, and then I'll kind of get off this, <laughs> yeah. because we could roll with this uh, for a long time. I never understand why there's so many lazy covers where they're photoshopped, and they're so obviously, obviously photoshopped. The heads are at really bizarre angles, or they're disproportionately large or small or askew. It's like, I can see this when I'm looking at it for five seconds. How did uh-huh. this pass uh-huh. muster? Like, do people just not care? I mean, it's just terrible. Or, you know, does jam as many noticeable faces or stars in the poster? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, even the Marvel ones, and I'm not a Marvel critic, I love the Marvel stuff, but it just feels like. Everyone has to sell the film with as much star power as possible. The the, the days of the minimal um, poster, and I don't need them to be totally spare, but days of the minimal poster are kind of gone. Um, it's too bad. It just feels like that. We gotta just put all the heads on it. Yeah, sure. Everyone who's in it. Yeah, it's it's very strange the way they're done nowadays, and it's easy to criticize them because marketing is you know algorithms and all these things and. I tell you what's bad is the the streaming things like Netflix has got. It feels like Netflix oh, has the same art terrible. for everything. <laughs> it seems like they just choose a random frame sometimes. Yeah, they just use a random frame and put like it, it feels like the same like two or three fonts over and over and over again. Like there's no it doesn't feel like any kind of creativity whatsoever. So they're brutal, man. Even like their little I don't even want to call it a trailer because I think that's criminal to lump it in as a trailer. Their little sneak previews that they do of films. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just some random forty-second clip that doesn't mount tension. It doesn't give any details. It's just lazy and terrible. Yeah, yeah, it is. Now that I'm looking at this in-game poster over and over and over again, I think I want it on my wall. <laughs> so well, there, sounds, there you go. Delightful. Yeah, I thought I didn't like it. Now, now I think I might like it. Um, I want Nightmare Weekends poster on my wall. No, I know the bloody pinball. That's a pretty awesome one. I think uh, the Welcome to Nightmare Beach one's pretty bad. I don't like that. I never have liked that one. I think it's the one with the this guy in a black leather bike outfit and just kind of standing there. There's, I mean, there's a lot of bad posters. It's a really tough question because there's a lot of bad oh, ones. Oh, I actually like that one. Oh, do you? You like that one? Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Or even, yeah, I like some of those ones with, like, biker helmets. Like, what's that, that Japanese one where it's got the girl on the cover? She's got, like, leather pants, like a black tank top and the biker helmet. I can't think of what it is now, but... Who knows? Yeah, I always sucker for a good faceless poster. Yeah, and Walt's got his opinion there, face of uh, Fight Club, which is fun. I know Fight Club. Fight Club's an interesting movie. It came out, everybody loved it. It went through a bad phase. It's kind of going through a kind of reuppance again now, and then kind of going down. I think the p- reason why people don't like it so much is it might have been a little too scarily accurate <laughs> to what to what that, some things happened. <laughs> I think that did feel like the time. It's curious to me how dated my perception is of like i if i had to make an educated guess i feel like it's probably going to feel very dated but like you said it felt very on point 
for yeah. that moment in time. Yeah, it felt very transgressive for the time. I don't know what it would feel like now. I haven't watched it in a long time, so I would Me neither. All right, let's get into what we've been watching. What have you been up to? Well, not a whole heck of a lot. Um, give me a second, please. So I had a bit of an interesting week. I didn't think I'd watched all that much uh, this week, but I did get in a few things. Uh, and of those things, I got in one that feels like it's up our, well, not feels, it, it's certainly up our alley. Um, and this was one of those where it was last Thursday night, no one was home. I see a movie on my uh, Plex called Death Kick. <laughs> Produced by David Hevener. I was kind of far away, but I laughed out loud. <laughs> oh, yeah. Death kick. So we've seen a lot of vanity projects. We love a lot of vanity projects. This might mm -hmm. be the most vain of all vanity projects. Yeah. Hevener's got some pretty, some pretty intense vanity projects. Hevener isn't even in front of the camera, which is the weird part. He, he, yeah. That might be even, got, that might be even worse. How can how can you have a vanity project and not be in front of it to be vain? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if if, if the the star of it, um, I can't think of even who his name is now, but um, I can't think of if he like he, again. This feels like one of those where a lawyer had some money <laughs> and decided he was going to get this man. And it's funny because I look, I I searched this up in our group, and we were talking about this uh, six years ago. You and I both. The boys over at Call to Muscle, I think they actually covered it, but we were all talking about it about six years ago. Wow. Somehow it fell off the grid completely for me, and it came back into my life. And so the basic premise for this one is a divorce lawyer gets kidnapped by this group of women who want revenge for him kind of, in their eyes, screwing him over. So they each pick a, what they call a champion, like a fighter to kick his ass and just humiliate him. So despite this guy looking about 50 and like he doesn't do anything resembling exercise, he whips some major ass. <laughs> and, you know, he, he, he charms the women that hated him prior. So it's an interesting one, man. It is such a vanity project. Shot in St. Louis. It's literally shot in the back of a tile store, like wow. a tile warehouse. Um, yeah. So it's it's a low-budget vanity project. It'd be fun to talk about. It's nothing earth-shaking, but this is one that you could watch the group and riff on and really have a good time. Nice. But it's uh, it's it's clumsy and vain, which is a great combination in my estimation. So, uh, we had, I meant to talk about this a while ago and I never did. We you know we're big fans of the uh, the Kingsman series. I don't know how long ago we watched this now, but I I remembered it popped into my head and I put the poster on. Uh, so we watched The Kingsman. Oh, Ray yeah. Pines, yeah. Tim the new one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got to say, you know, William and I really dug it because there's a lot of... William's a history buff, and this one has Rasputin, and it has a lot of, uh, a lot of other interesting stuff happening. And William, of course, being a Potter guy when he was younger, he kind of loves Ray Fiennes. He loves this. He loves um, Grand Budapest. You know, Fiennes has become one of his, his go-to guys. So, uh, yeah, this one moves slower than the other ones, but I think it's... This is a pretty good series, all in all. You know, it, it's stuff maybe a little crass for my kids at times, but by and large, it's got some good set pieces and they're handsome films. So you could do worse with a, 
uh, a big budget film, I think. Yeah. I think I only uh, ever saw the first one of those. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. No, we, our family are pretty big fans of them. Um, next up was one, again, no one was really in the mood to watch anything. So I'm like, I'll, I'm so jumping in here and, and throwing something on. <clears throat> this, uh, this is Lay Creatures, an Agnes Varda film. This is on Canopy and it's also on Criterion. So, man, this film, I, what sold me was Varda, Catherine Deneuve, and Michelle Piccoli. This mm. feels like, I heard someone describe this and it's so apt. It's as if Yorgos Lanthimos had a French uh, grandfather. <laughs> All right. It's really bizarre. He's a, it, and it's, it's a dash of straw dogs, too. Oh, interesting. Really strange. I think it would make for a great cover on the show. Piccoli is this writer who moves to this uh, small island in France, um, him and his wife get in an accident to know she becomes mute. And as the film goes on, it feels very meta, like all these bizarre things are happening and you get the sense like, is he just, or even almost like Kaufman-esque where like, is he writing this and controlling these characters' motivations that are bothering him? Is it all part of a book? Like, is he a character in his own book? So I don't want to spoil too much, but it's, uh, it's a good film. You know, Varda's always had it. I, I love everything I've seen of hers. Uh, she's always interesting, and uh, this is a cool one. So it's on the Criterion channel. Uh, last one I want to talk about was my Valentine's Day pick. Uh, 80s favorite of mine, uh, Can't Buy Me Love. Oh, yeah. With the Dempsey. Yeah. So this uh, this has held up pretty well, man. I mean, for what it is, right? I. You know, it's it's very of its time, but I hadn't seen it in a long time. My wife and I both love it, and um, we felt like throwing it on and showing the bo- showing the boys this one. And yeah, I mean, it's got a great message. <laughs> um, you know, don't spill red wine on your thousand dollar suede outfit. Um, but yeah, no, we we enjoyed this one. Uh, Amanda Peterson is quite good in this. It's too bad she died so young. Um, yeah, I'll just say one more confessional about this film on the air. This was the film, this was burned into my brain from when I was about nine years old. So there's a scene when Dempsey's at the Christmas party and he runs his hands up this girl's legs and she's wearing a garter belt. And I'm telling you, man, ever since then, I feel like this is where that seed got planted because <laughs> it stuck in my head and this, I've always been a fan. Yeah, this is the, uh, the psychological moment. This is, uh, that's yeah, what this is. Yeah, it's eh? one of those, those moments in that sort of tapestry of my um, sort of turn-ons, I guess, in life that I'm like, oh my God, what's this? And <laughs> I couldn't process it at that age, but it, it stayed there and I always remember the scene and uh, it's just funny how certain little moments can stick with you. But no, this is a good one. It's a fun, fun 80s comedy. You could do a lot worse. That's interesting. That's interesting. I often think of that. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I've seen over the years, obviously, that has probably made me who I am. So it does come up every now and then. All right. Uh, I watched a few things. Uh, not a whole lot this week. Been a busy week. Let's see what I got going on here. I got to pull up the old app here. It's just a fanciness. So we got Dre. Oh, so, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, while you were pulling that up, I was just going <laughs> to say i'm sure there's a lot of things we could talk about off the air that uh have been burned in both our brains <laughs> oh yeah probably some of the same things <laughs> probably probably yeah there's probably there's probably cultural things that certainly yeah. in films have burned in all of our brains so probably a group of us could talk about uh jurassic park three watch that 
Um, Landon wanted to check it out. He knew I liked Jurassic Park 3, so he wanted to see why I liked it so much. Because he was curious, because he saw it was the shortest of the Jurassic Park films, and and he was just like, I don't, I don't understand. No, everybody says that this one's not as good as the other two, and I'm like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not, it's not good. It just it depends on who, you know, who's watching it and what it means to them. And I like this one because it feels like a B movie. It feels like a yeah. B B dinosaur movie. And it's essentially just a chase movie. I mean, they literally are. They, I think they're on land for like I don't know, ten, fifteen minutes, and then the rest of the movie is just this big dinosaur chasing people around. And um, I enjoy that quite a bit. It's ridiculous, I'll give it that. But all these films are. So I mean, uh, this one might be a, a step more ridiculous than the other two in that first trilogy. But uh, I kind of enjoy that. I kind of enjoy the the wackiness. I think it's almost like a B, like it's not like a B movie. That's what, it, what it feels like. Um. Watched, uh, well, I watched Grease 2, but you can hear about that over on Not a Bomb if you want to hear me talk about that. Uh, watched, uh, what else did I watch? I watched, uh, this is the only other thing I really watched because uh, something else I'm watching, I'm kind of working on because it's three hours and something long. But um, Antlers, this is the Scott Cooper horror oh, film. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I checked this out. Now, I have said over the years that Scott Cooper, he doesn't always do it for me for whatever reason. His films always interest me. His subject matter always interests me. Um, but I, I can't remember the last Scott Cooper film that I saw before I bowed out. I can't remember what it was. I'm trying. I'm going to look here real quick while we're talking. Um, but I know I didn't see Hostages, and I meant to. That was the Western with Christian Bale. And I meant to. I just never got around to it because I was like, well, sometimes his films work for me and sometimes they don't. Um he, you know, I liked Crazy Heart. That was his kind of intro film, but I didn't love it. I liked Out of the Furnace, but I didn't love it. And so I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. And then he did like Black Mass and Hostiles, which I didn't watch either one of those. And now he's come back with this one. And this one kind of, I don't know, something about the poster, something about the idea behind the film. I know it had been shot for a while and it was kind of sitting on a shelf for a little bit. So. It's an interesting, I don't want to get into too much about it, but it's an interesting kind of folk horror tale. And uh, it's a lot more gruesome than I expected it to be. And a little bit, uh, quite, quite quite the negative little piece of, uh, of film. Uh, and I was, I don't know why I was surprised by that, but I guess, you know, I, I just wasn't ready for it to be kind of as nasty as it was. So uh pretty interesting stuff pretty hard uh to watch some of the stuff um but yeah pretty pretty cool i thought uh not not perfect but definitely my favorite scott cooper film now favorite cooper jam this this takes place in a uh a small town yeah small Is it not like a pacific family or a divorced family yeah pacific northwest there's some uh some meth labs going on there's a few other things Oh yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a small town, uh, children in peril story. So it, it gets it gets pretty dark. It gets pretty dark. Be wor- be uh, be wary. Be uh, you know it it gets there. So folks, uh, you know, know. But I, I quite enjoyed it. I really did. So I need to check this one out. I got to move it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you should definitely check it out. I'd be curious what you and uh, I know you let your, your kids watch the horror movies with you. And this one, this, this one, maybe not right. Uh, I think so. I think, you know, considering some of the other stuff they've seen, I think they'll be awful okay with this. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty hardcore, but I mean, again, each I I I don't know how to judge that because everybody, you know, your kids are your kids, they're my kids, so. Well, I showed my kids yeah. Jackass before, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. They can handle. If they can handle that, then I think they can handle pretty much anything. So. You know, and and I, I don't know that I need to defend it or justify it, especially to you of all people, but. You know, man, it's just one of those things. I look at you. I look at all of our friends. Not to toot my own horn, but I feel like we all turned out pretty great, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, as long as I avoid the Hellraisers and the, you know, the No Way films and the kind of bleak, rapey stuff for a while, the spray paint on the ass, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really don't think, honestly, that the movie and art does anything to, ki- uh, to kids, to be honest with you. That's my personal belief, but... Um, I just I've chosen to take a different route because yeah. I know the route I went. Uh, even though I'm thankful for it, I didn't. Uh, I'm not going to pass that on. <laughs> nope. I'll let, as sure. you know, as you know, my son, my kids, they they choose everything on their own. I don't I don't show them anything. Because mm-hmm. I like Landon just come to me and start talking about stuff, and that's just kind of the route I've taken, as opposed to the other route, which is kind of this teacher route, which I'm I'm not much on that. I'm just not much of a teacher. Um, nope. but. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, and so I don't judge. I don't judge. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to make no, sure I brother, say that, brother. I never, for a moment, <laughs> have thought that. Yeah, different yeah. strokes for different folks, man. It's exactly. Uh, you know, there's something to be said for total organic discovery. Yeah, uh, which is what you're doing, and there's something to be said for holding their hand and gently saying, "Hey, here's a door here. Take a look in here. Yeah, Maybe yeah. You don't like it. Yeah, but whatever works. I mean, it's it's interesting that like my son got into kung fu films, and I never even told him about kung fu films. He kind of found them on his own, so. That's very cool, man. Yeah, and uh, so that that you know that is interesting, and then of course now he's he's getting older, so the the horror stuff is is coming into the mix a little bit more. So I'm sure it'll start coming into the mix more and more as the years go by. My daughter will watch anything, so I got to watch what I watch in front of her because she will literally, if she sits down and watch, if I'm watching Gaspar Noé, she's going to sit down and ask questions. Oh, she's that she's that much of a focused type person. Like if it's on, she's focused and she's watching every second. She's not. She's not turning away, <laughs> so I have to uh, I have to watch stuff around her uh, a little bit closer. But anyway, um, there we go. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about Deep Cover from '92. We'll be back right after this. It just motherfucker Jake. No, no, man, I can't fuck with it right now. Oh, man, I've been dealing with you for three motherfucking months. You ain't hit the pipe in front of me yet. So what you saying? I thank you, 5-0. 5-0. Man, I ain't no motherfucking cop. Well, hit this motherfucker then. Tonight, I get in some shit. Yeah. Deep cover on the incognito tip. Killing motherfuckers if I have to. Filling gaps too. Let your niggas know I'm coming at you. I guess that's part of the game. But I feel for the nigga who think he just gonna come and change things with the swiftness. So get it right with the quickness. And let me handle my business, yo. I'm on a mission and my mission won't stop. Until I get the nigga maxing at the top. I hope you get his ass boy drop. King Ben kicking back while his workers lay his rocks. Coming up like a fat rat. Big body, big paws, big bodyguards on his back. So- there we go. Uh, deep cover, 1992. Will selected this one. I had not seen this in a long ass time. I mean, it's been a long time. 
Um, directed by Bill Duke. Uh, plot synopsis, a uniformed cop is recruited by a drug enforcement agent to infiltrate a drug smuggling ring looking to expand its operation. So a very basic story, right? Um, nothing you haven't seen before. Um, but we're going to talk about this one, and I guess I'll lead on it since Will picked it. Uh, it's kind of the way we do things around here. Mm-hmm. That's how we do. That's how we do it, yeah. Um, this one uh, this one came out, I think Bill Duke was, uh, well, obviously, if you don't know who Bill Duke is, he's he's a character actor, was in a lot of, uh, not a lot, but he's in a couple of Schwarzenegger films that are very well known for those. How about Predator? <laughs> yeah, Predator and Commando in particular, yeah. those two. Uh, but he's done a lot of um, character acting over the years. He's got a great look, uh, ball-headed, very dark-skinned gentleman, very intimidating look would be a way I would describe him. He's in uh, Action Jackson, too. Let's not, let's not forget American Gigolo. That. Yeah. Great turn in that. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's in Minister Society as well, which oh, just yeah. kind of got a re-release on Criterion. So. Amazing. Yeah, so he pops up and stuff every now and then. He he was in Mandy recently. Remember, he popped up in Mandy randomly out of nowhere. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> it was kind of uh, we were like, "What the hell? What's he doing in here?" Yeah, man, yeah. The Dookie Stick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he he's popped up in a lot of things, but he's directed. He he directs mostly television, video shorts, things like that. But he's directed a few films. Uh, I believe this is his feature film debut. Uh, uh, it says here, flag. Might be his feature film debut, but the I don't Killing know. Floor. Oh, I the, think he directed prior to that, which is interestingly, I, I didn't realize it was him. Uh, it's about a, a predominantly black uh, union uh, sort of gathering of a union, um, a labor movement, right? So yeah, so that yeah. was on that was on Criterion, wasn't it? I think it was, man. I think it was. Uh, I know it does have uh it's been around sort of art circles um i'm pretty sure it was on criterion because i was going to watch it and i didn't realize it was bill duke directing at the time yeah, so i yeah. probably would have definitely checked it out yeah i see it on here now killing for 1984 and then he went into flag which i don't know what that is and then rage in harlem was the first thing he, he which isn't bad um rage in harlem i don't know if you've ever seen that you ever seen that one? yep yeah, yeah oh yeah it's not bad. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad for sure. Uh, it's Danny Glover and uh, what's her name? The name of the Robin Givens. Yeah, Robin Givens, the one that was married to Tyson, Force Whitaker, Gregory Hines. Good. It's a it's a pretty solid movie. And then he came back with this movie, Deep Cover, and this one got him some critical praise. Like he he hit the ground running with this one a little bit, and uh, really was uh, I think you know a lot of critics were calling him an up and comer at this point as a filmmaker. And uh, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't know what happened. He, he really just switched gears completely and did like the Cemetery Club and Sister Act Two, which is fine, right? I mean, it's you can do whatever you want to do, but it's just really he just switched gears in '93 for those two films, and then he came back with Hoodlum in '97, which is okay, which, which had a decent push. Yeah, it had I a push. I remember being in high school and you know was getting promoted, and Tim Roth was hot and. Lawrence Fishburne was back. I think Andy Garcia, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was high-profile stuff. Yeah. I remember liking it, but definitely not loving it. I've never seen it. I always meant to, and I never did. Yeah. Uh, I, I might go back and, and check it out. Yeah. Just... But he evidently had a good relationship with Fishburne, and uh, so he did this film with Fishburne, and this was uh, this was uh, actually a weird bit of trivia. This is the last film where Lawrence Fishburne is known as Larry Fishburne. Larry. Because when I was growing up, that's what I knew Larry Fishburne as. 
So I still call him that occasionally instead of Lawrence because he's always been Larry Fishburne to me. <laughs> yeah, and he was just getting on a real run there, wasn't he? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boys in the Hood the year prior, Deep Cover, and then he's Ike Turner and What's Love Got to Do with It. So I mean, he was really getting hot at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think did he get nominated for an Oscar for Ike Turner, the Ike Turner role? He might have. I feel like he might have, or was he nominated for supporting actor for Boys in the Hood? Ah, uh, yeah, he's really good. Wishful thinking. Yeah, he's really good. He's great in that. Oh man, he's really good in that. I mean, he's been nominated a lot. He's a very, I, 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 the way I always put Larry Fishburne is he's very much a. If you want somebody that seems very uh, authoritative and very matter of fact, he's a really great selection. Yes. What I will never, I will never claim for Larry Fishburne though is he's not. For me, he's not much of an emotional actor. He's not really. A guy that, I mean, I've seen some stuff where he tries to go out there and do some crazy stuff, but he's mostly known for being the, not the stick in the mud, that's not the right word I'm looking for, but more like a, I don't know, man, how would you describe him? More like, kind of like the backbone, the serious guy amongst the group, you know what I mean? I, I think that's a fair statement, yeah. It, he he does tend to play figures that are very commanding, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, very serious. You know, we don't see, I don't think of him as kind of, even you know other African American actors of of his generation like Denzel, I can picture Denzel in kind of you know a few romantic movies and mm-hmm. kind of with a smile on his face and cracking jokes. Even in some of his noiry stuff, but Lawrence Fishburne always seems to have a burden to bear, and it makes him feel very serious. And I I quite like him. And and looking at him in this, I mean he's very commanding. Yeah, very very commanding, very charismatic. Um, but yeah, he's, he tends to be a more serious actor than he does, you know, uh, sort of silly stuff. Yeah, I mean, and he does he does some silly stuff. I know recently I watched the MacGruber TV show, oh, uh, nice. and he play, he was in that, and he does some stuff that I've never seen uh, Lawrence Fishburne do. <laughs> so I'll give him credit. You know, he, he's at least trying nowadays. You know what's cool? He he voiced the Silver Surfer in Rise of the Silver Surfer. Yeah, he yeah. had a great voice. Oh yeah, no, so that's what I know him mostly for is his great voice. Yeah. Um, good movies, bad movies. He's been in some bad stuff. I really liked him in uh, the uh, the chess movie, Searching for Bobby Fischer. He's really good in that. Yeah, and uh, yep. some other films. I mean, but but anyway, either way you look at it, usually when Fishburne shows up, there's a sense of authority and a sense of okay, we're going to write this ship. He definitely has a commanding presence. Absolutely. And I like that. And I think because of his looks, because he's got bad guy looks, he's he's certainly got tough guy looks. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it's hard for him to kind of go outside of that. And that's why I think the Ike Turner role was so good for him because that was a very authoritative, damaged, uh, potentially insane individual, right? And... It worked for him really well as far as, you know, getting noticed and things like that. And, of course, you know, we can talk about The Matrix and things like that where he's, you know, obviously very important to that whole series. Um, Jeff Goldblum's in here. Certainly, when I think of Jeff Goldblum, I think of esoteric, eccentric, uh, uh, maybe the grandpa of hipsterism, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, <laughs> I don't think of cocaine kingpin yet, <laughs> yeah. somehow. Well, He's always had the he's always had the look. He's got this very serpentine look. He does. It's like a yuppie, sort of evil yuppie serpentine yeah. thing. At least in this this era. And I always regret that he doesn't play more bad guys because he really has the looks. 
Yeah, and you know what? He can pull it off. There's moments in this where he's he's pretty oh, evil. It's funny because yeah, he bad. kind of toggles between being in over his head and then very quickly gains his footing, and he's quite nasty. Yeah, I think. Well, I think what happens is he gets a leather coat. That, oh, does he ever? That changes the game. See, the yeah. the, the problem is, is that we know he's evil because he gets the leather coat, but we know that deep down that Fishburn is is good because he he goes triple denim. Triple denim right out of the gates. Yeah, triple denim out of the gates. Like I couldn't even handle it. It was too much denim for even my poor, my poor eyes. They could not handle all the denim that was on display. My denim got very tight. <laughs> yeah. I, say I so. mean, that was a lot of denim, man. That's a lot of denim for one man. <laughs> yeah, I had to admire him. I was like, wait, well, you might as well get some denim chucks. Yep. You know, yeah. go go Let full go tilt. Yeah, go if you're gonna go that man. far out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember Jeff Goldblum playing, I think, the devil of some sort or something in a film called Mister Frost, which I liked. And oh I, yes, yes. And I remember thinking this guy should play a bad guy more often, and he really didn't for a long time. And then I, I guess he's done a few bad guy roles, but this is the one that I always seem to remember the most, though, when it comes to his bad guy performances. And I think it's because it's actually a pretty good bad guy performance because it starts out as just a guy who's kind of obsessed with greed and and a power, but he really does kind of go to the dark side within the film. So it's pretty interesting. Uh, Pretty interesting performance from him, to say the least. Um, some of the other people in the cast. The cast is kind of weird because it's kind of it's kind of listed alphabetically. So I'm going to have to kind of go through here a little bit and try to find some folks. There's a lot of good character actors in here. A lot of a lot good of, yeah, Latino a lot of faces. Yeah, yeah, faces of color. You know, actors that you totally saw in ten things from the '80s and early '90s that you're like, oh man, it's him. It's oh, like what's his name? Um, uh, Gosh, he's so far down the list. Yeah. Well, Sidney um, Lassick's in this, and Sidney Lassick played, wasn't he on Alice, uh, the TV show for and years? He was, he was in one floor of the cuckoo's nest. Sidney yeah. Lassick might be the one actor in this who feels so miscast. <laughs> he does. Oh, man. He does not fit with the crew at all. He doesn't, but it's weird because his performance for me works. He, I, he always stands out like a, like a sore thumb. He really does. Yep. But. He never, like, when he talks and stuff, he never takes me out of the movie for some weird reason. It just felt like such a hodgepodge for me with that little crew. Yeah. Um, Roger Gwynver Smith, who plays Eddie, Big Mouth Eddie, like, well, we, we've seen him in so many things. Yeah, well, we got we to gotta do a hard pause here and, and just mention that we this movie starts with, uh, first of all, it's, it's a noir, oh. but this movie starts with one of the GGTMC favorite actors. Oh, does it ever? And it's it's a great little turn of awful yeah. parenting by one Glenn Turman, who shows up to be what might be one of the worst dads in the history of cinema. He's terrible, and I'll tell you <laughs> something, okay? Because I'd forgotten this scene in the film. I had too. I was like, I was sitting there smiling. This is one of those moments where I'm like, "Where's Will at? We got to talk about this right now." Dude, <laughs> I, I smiled, and then a tear came over. A tear came down my cheek. This is a really great small turn, and I almost wish this had taken the affliction um, sort of from the affliction playbook and kind of flash back to him a few times. Yeah. Uh, because it's as much as we kind of joke around, I know we both quite like Terman. Terman's an accomplished actor. He really brings the thunder in like that five minutes. Yeah, he does. He's really good. He's really menacing, but there's also a sliver of humanity in that moment. It's really, really good. It sets yeah. the table nicely for Fishburne's guarded 
kind of driven uh, motivation for things. I mean, is Termin? Uh, let's let's just throw it out there. Is Termin ever bad? No. I mean, I think he's like one of the great character actors. I mean, he just he shows up, he gives you a plus effort, and then he just walks away, and you're like, damn, that was impressive. He would be, I guess, like to use a basketball term, he'd be like one of the most unsung sort of sixth men in the history of the game. Yeah, right? like he yeah, yeah, he would. Doesn't get the shine that he deserves. Doesn't get his flowers as much as he deserves. But you know, Super Eighties great. John dies at the end. Oh yeah, Gremlins. So many things. Uh, so many. So things. many things, man. Come on, Glenn Turman's great. Yeah. We also get, like you said, Roger Gunnar Smith, who's a lot of Spike Lee joints. He's a very yeah. good character. He's way over the top in this, but he's kind he's, of fun. He does what Sammy calls subtle acting. Yeah, this is. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's the most subtle thing in here. Charles Martin Smith, great character actor from the seventies. Uh, yeah, he's 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 awesome in here. He has the uh, thankless role of saying the n word several times and making people I feel uncomfortable. Oh man, he's uh, yeah. And he, I think just he embodies the role so well, mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. role. He just just this kind of gross, just. He, a white white bureaucrat. That's what he is. I mean, yes, I was about to say he embodies sort of white institutional racism. Yeah, so well in this. Yeah, well, it's a great performance because it starts out you're angry at him, and then you grow to like him mm-hmm. some because he's helping uh, the Fishburne character, right? Mm-hmm. And he's kind of helping him through his uh, travails and getting through everything, and you feel like he's kind of protecting him. And he even at one point comes and says, "We're pulling you out." Yeah, and uh, you think, oh, this guy's you know pretty good, but then he starts to say, you know, he's got a job at DC, he can get him in there and stuff. So it's an inside thing, but then from that point, it just gets worse. It just keeps going downhill. Like he just, it clearly becomes this thing of greed for him, different type of greed, not money greed. Well, maybe money, but certainly power. Power, yes. I think there's the thing I like about this film is Duke's. Duke makes a film that can be looked at as a really good genre film crime film kind of noir film but can also be looked at as a criticism of capitalism of institutional racism yeah. of the war on drugs mm-hmm. well and and the comparability the the comparable nature of the drug world and the government world precisely precisely yeah and, Charles Martin Smith, just one more thing off him. He's aged really well, man. He looks good for his age. Man, he does. I saw he his looks IMDb. Better now than he did then. Yeah, his IMDb picture. At first, I was like, "That's not Charles Martin Smith." No, man. I was like, "That's not him." Good. He's the same age as my mother and father. Well, my father would have been, but my mother is. And uh, man, he has aged well. He hasn't done anything since 2015. I wonder if he walked away. Oh. Always been a good character actor. Always yeah. uh, just kind of pops up and things. Um, last but certainly not least, I want to take a moment to talk about Clarence Williams the third. Man. So Clarence Williams the third is he's one of those he reminds me of the guy that played um Huggy Bear on Starsky and Hutch, uh Vargas, who we've talked about in the Antonio past. Antonio Vargas, yeah. Yeah. These guys are great actors, but sometimes they've been pigeonholed by a performance that they once had. Clarence Williams the third was on Mission Impossible for years. Or the Mod Squad, I think it was the Mod, Mod Squad. Squad. Yeah. Mod Squad, yeah. And uh, he kind of got pigeonholed in that. This is one of the most normal Clarence Williams the third performances I can recall off the top of my head. He is like so powerful, so fatherly, so subtle 
for lack of a better word. When we were joking about it earlier, being sarcastic, but I'm being honest here. He he yeah. turns it up when he has to, but honestly, in this movie, he's really, really. I mean, he for me was like, I remember liking him in the movie, but I don't remember liking him as much as I liked him in this this time around. Well, I think that's because we have the benefit of being in our 40s now and yeah. being able to see what is what he was going for, yeah. right? And yeah. and what what Duke was going for with that character, right? Right. So yeah, he he crushes it, man. Like he's so good and provides such humanity in the face of um, such a hard, cold environment, right? He's, yeah. He still yeah. provides a humanity and a kindness. Yeah. I do want to give a quick shout out though to. Um, Gregory Sierra, who plays Barbosa, obviously he was on Barney Miller for years, and oh yeah, got to bring up the Barney Miller comment again, and then the uh, the very quick uh, on screen, off screen, very memorable performance from one James T. Morris, who uh, will constantly says he's only in four films, but he likes to say I'll be back. You seen that movie, wow. man? I'll be back. <laughs> What's amazing about that is he looks like he's like a a fill in from Full Force. Uh huh. You know, he's got that huge medallion. He wears the tank top. He's got the muscles with, like, the ponytail. He totally looks like... Or Force MDs. No, Full Force? Is it Full Force or Force MDs? I'm trying to... Uh, I, I, you know what? I think it's Force... M- you know what? I don't know. I think it's Full I think Force. It's, I feel like it's Full Force. I feel like it's Full Force. Yeah, we have to go yeah it is, because Force MD is a different group. Yeah, Force MDs. is... Force. I think they've done something with Full Force, so... Imagine that. Because Full Force did stuff with, like, Sheila E and... Yeah. Lisa Lisa, I we, think. We got to watch this movie James T. Morris is in with Dennis Farina, di- written and directed by a guy named Stephen Smoke <laughs> called Street Crimes. Uh, good old Stevie Smoke. I got to check this out. Oh, I, I'm looking at it now. That's Farina <laughs> on the cover, eh? Yeah. At first, I thought it was Stevie Smoke, but it's definitely Farina. Wow. Gerardo. <laughs> wow. This is a pretty, um, pretty good line. Two cops, one with a gun and one with his fists. Yeah. Risk everything to make the neighborhood crime and drug free by taking down the most powerful street lord. Yeah, Art Camacho's in there, so there's some uh, some B movie action cred in there. Wow. Anyway, uh, maybe maybe someday we'll get around to that. Who knows? Uh, but I just, Uno. Yeah, I just want to mention him because he has a couple memorable moments in the film, including a, ba- a bathroom scene that uh, kind of has to be seen to be believed. Heavy, heavy flow. <laughs> Heavy flow. Not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Definitely no uh, no obstructions in that canal. Was that a stunt urethra? That's the sixty-four thousand dollars question. Yeah, it feels like it was coming out of a bag more than it was it coming out. It feels like the foley artist turned it up to eleven. <laughs> yeah. Um, can we talk about his driver for a minute? She feels very like Mad Fox, leather Nazi fetish. She chauffeur. is the most. G- Those two are the most GGTMC in the movie. <laughs> right? I mean, oh, man, they're man. in another movie. They're in a. They're, <laughs> they're in an Italian post-apocalyptic hey. movie. Is what they're in. Hey, where's their movie? <laughs> yeah, I want their movie. Yeah, I want their movie, man. <laughs> they feel like they like like they just drove off set of a Pune movie. Yeah, like, like an Albert Pune movie. Should, oh man, like they should have been in um, <laughs> Cyborg or some. I don't know, man. Some Pune Jam for sure. Yeah. So there's also I I know I'm going through the cast a lot, but I got to say this. There's also a guy who plays a cop. I can't remember the name of that cop. That uh, oh, it's a uh, Julio Oscar Machasso. Now Julio Oscar Machasso from for my whole life has been in so many movies that I've seen. Um, he's in for everything from uh, um, uh, what should we call it? Planet Terror, I believe. Uh, oh yeah, he works with uh, Robert Rodriguez a lot. He's got a certain way of talking. It's kind of this kind of drawl, 
But what's funny is, is this week I had kind of a weird uh, kind of film festival for Julio Oscar Machasso because he was in Jurassic Park 3. He played one of the guys driving the boat. Don't but, you love when that happens? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm sitting there watching Deep Cover, and I'm like, hey, I just saw this guy in Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's just, it's just fun to see him again. But, uh, yeah, he's in a lot of great films. And I grew up with him on TV and in a lot of stuff. It, it, the first thing I remember seeing him in was a Police Academy movie. I just don't remember which one it is. It was probably the Miami Beach one. I know I'm probably being slightly uh, doing some racial profiling there but i bet it is that and uh oh yeah awesome. it is that one he's in bad boys he's in the glass shield two cop movies things like yep. that uh anyway so let's get into the movie here so this movie is essentially a noir i would i would classify it as that i i, I think you would agree right oh yeah yeah it's i don't know if it's a neo-noir or not i mean i i guess it kind of is but it's definitely a noir because it's it's got the narration um what I like about this film. Uh, so here's the interesting story that I had. I rented this movie. I didn't go see it in the theater. I rented this film on VHS back in the day. I started watching it. And I turned it off. I didn't like it. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why. Because there's nothing in the beginning of this movie that doesn't hook you. I mean, this movie hooks you from the get-go. It's... It's got, you know, it, it immediately hits you with uh, racial stuff, so it's a bit of an eye-opener. And then it hits you with drug deals, uh, triple denim, which even back then I knew was a, you know. It's a, a power move. Yeah, it was, a, it was a power move, yeah. And I thought, and you know, the muscle guy and all this stuff, and I thought, man, why did I turn this off? And so I'm watching it again, and I think it's because in the beginning – uh, and I had seen, I eventually ended up watching it all, but I turned it off immediately, uh, almost immediately. I think in the beginning, I didn't like Jeff Goldblum in the film. Really? I think I had a hard time at whatever age I was when I watched this, which would have been 19 years of age. That's 30 years ago, folks, for those playing along at home. Jesus Christ. Um, I don't think I was ready for Goldblum in this role. And... I think I didn't buy it, and I think I was just like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying what it's selling. I'm gonna go away. Now I let it set for a couple of days. This is back in the days when you could rent for three nights or five nights, and I rented it for five nights. I'm like, well, you know, I paid money for this. You know that old, that old nugget of wisdom. You know, you spent the money. You may as well, you know, you might as well get your money's worth, right? Oh yeah. Um. So I threw it back in, started right where I left off, and eventually got to the point to where it got its hooks in me really good and i was like you know what this is a pretty good pretty solid undercover cop movie um now watching it as a 49 year old man 48 year old man going on 49 for that matter i have to say this movie is really solid for a 92 undercover cop film yeah and it's very much and and forgive me if i'm wrong in this but this is just my impression of it it's very much a hip hop culture film. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know enough about hip hop culture, but I would say something like this, something like, you know, House Party back in the day, we talked about that the other day, didn't well, we? we Menace Society, Boys in the Hood, all, all yeah. that stuff, that sort of 91 to about set it off. I mean, yeah, that early's that early's 90s, 90s. hip hop culture, film culture, like uh, Juice, Juice is in absolutely. there. Absolutely. Yeah. Jersey Drive, I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Lot. 
Yeah, there's a lot of stuff chips. in there. You know, even Billy yeah. Freak was yeah, yeah. chasing that hip hop paper, man. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Blue Chips does have definitely has a hip hop vibe to it. Yeah, um, this is when culture was changing and pop culture was changing, mm-hmm. right? And the right. money was was going there, right? And it's it's very interesting in that way, and in that way, it kind of feels almost ahead of its time. It feels like a distant cousin of Boys in the Hood, mm-hmm. in a, in a weird way. It, it almost feels like this is what Cuba Gooding Jr. would have done if he graduated. Yeah. And if we would have saw a sequel, like he would have became a cop, maybe an undercover cop, and trying to get drugs off the streets, and he would have had these struggles, these same struggles that Fishburne has in this film. And uh, I really like that, going back and seeing it this time. It's funny how and we've talked about this many times over the years, and I talk about this with every person I know who loves movies as much as I do. Movies are so strange, and stories are so strange, because you can see it that first time, and it has no impact on you whatsoever, really. It's like, eh, it was fine. And then you come back after 30 years and you see it again and you're like, wow, that was something. So what happens in all that time? Well, of course, you, you live your life, right? You've, you've had some experiences now. You've had some things change. You've had some desperation. You've, you've seen that there are people like the girl that, that uh, lives across the hall that mistreats her son and is hooked on drugs. Yep. Um, you see these, by the way, she's hot. But the the uh, I had to get that out there. Sorry, uh, <laughs> I mean she is. I mean she is. Lyra, Lyra Angel is her name, yeah. I believe. Um, she's she's a gorgeous lady. Um, but I uh, I I don't know what it is that does that other than life experience. Right? We've talked about this so many times over the years. But I think that's what great art does, right? I mean, I think it's what all art does. There's things we love when we're young uh, that sometimes we don't love when we get older. And then there's things that we skip over when we're younger that we discover as we get older. And then there's the in-betweens, the ones where we we, we liked them or we kind of didn't like them. And then we come back to them. And I think that's the wonderful thing about art. And one of the great things about being a human being is that life gives you these interpretive skills if you're lucky and you can experience these things in a totally different way it gives you new filters and uh Absolutely. that was the best thing about this because rewatching it i mean i know this movie but rewatching it it had a different type of impact on me an impact of some fatherly stuff certainly with the clarence williams the third character taft i think he is um the kind of greedy up-and-coming businessman lawyer aspect of the jeff goldblum character which by the way if that is his legal office he has the most legal books in the history of cinema in that office i'm so glad you mentioned that because i i've written the note as i've never seen that many encyclopedias in one room (laughs) i know i'm never i mean i just kept going it just kept going man (laughs) it's a a great shot you know it's a great shot because he kind of swings around they come from the outside to the inside but i'm thinking how many more shelves of books are we going to see um that's yeah, yeah and i think i, I those books onto that yeah set. yeah i think uh, yeah i hope they were fake or else or i hope they were already there or one or the other i hate to be the one that has to dust those all the time anyway the the thing i also didn't like and i can remember with 19 is so i had an interesting experience with spike lee when i was young i didn't like hip-hop filmmaking at first there was this thing in hip-hop filmmaking jump cutting now scorsese had done it so he was kind of the originator in some ways of this kind of uh, hip-hop New York urban kind of filmmaking. If you remember, you know, some of his early films and stuff, he would do some of this jump cutting and 
floating and stuff. And of course, Spike Lee kind of adapted that into his style and it became more and more. And this certainly does feel in some ways like Bill Duke doing a Spike Lee film um, at moments because there's moments when the film just stops and stutters and starts and stops and stutters. And it's kind of going with the music, but it's kind of not. So it kind of gives you this disjointed feeling. Obviously, as a 48-year-old film fan, I realize that Duke is doing this to put us off what's going on and trying to kind of make us uneven and uneasy, right? But as a 19-year-old, all I thought was, oh, man, this guy's showing off. And there's a certain energy that comes with uh, the film, and it's inherent in the setting, the environment, where it's taking place. It's busy. It's a city. The streets are moving. There's the hustle, bustle. Right. So it, it there's some shots where it's in tight in the frame. There's lots of colors. It's vibrant. Uh, a lot of close ups of faces like it just very in your face, very energetic. And I think Bill Duke does a really good job conveying that through the camera work and his editing style. Yeah, I think the movie it, it's really it owes a lot to movies that before it there's no doubt about it it's not a totally original movie again there's a reason why i said that with the the synopsis it's not a a wholly original piece it's uh it's a very standard story but i think what the film has going for it is it has kind of a unique style because it's kind of bill duke kind of with the filters of scorsese and spike lee on kind of coming at it it's got some some interesting lighting schematics sometimes with these really strong reds or these really strong blues which obviously are cop oh, colors. Man. They're cop yeah, colors, they right? So they're very much they're cop colors, and I think they work wonderfully too. Because you know, there's moments where they cool down a scene or they add sort of an emotional intensity to a scene. Yeah, and I think all that stuff works. And I, this what what that's what what I'm basically getting to is there's moments in here that do feel very much like they belong in the Scorsese canon, and and that's a compliment, and I mean that in the best way because I take for instance the pool hall scene with um uh what's his name in there uh eddie uh, roger grinever smith mean streets there's that pool, the pool yeah scene. and you got felix right. barbosa in there and eddie makes mistakes and he keeps making a mistake and i think felix is going to let him go but now felix is getting mad yep. and then we get the pull cue moment and it's pretty it's pretty rough and uh there's some rough, there's some pretty hardcore violence in this and then we get a really kind of cool car chase um in a limo which is weird uh you don't normally see that and felix kind of gets his comeuppance which is just brutal as all get out and really is a showstopper scene i mean it's not the driving isn't insane but the way it's edited the way it's put together and everything it's, it's an intense scene man it's the really good are high in that moment again there's lots of tight it's the one scene where fishburne who's been very cool calm and collected almost like yeah. an alligator yeah in the water i mean he's panicking yeah, and he it's re- things get really fucked up really quickly. Yeah, everything goes goes tilt on him. It just tilts. Everything goes, and if you notice, in some ways, the camera from that from some of those points on, he starts to use like Dutch angles. Dude, I, that was one of my notes. Dutch yeah. angles. He starts to use these these different angles, and things are off kilter now. Now things are out of control. Fishburn's starting to use, which is always a. A bad thing for any dealer, but he's a dealer. He's an undercover cop, but he's kind of given in to the to the game, and it's just it's really interesting. And this film shot by Bohan Bozelli, uh, who shot you know things like Pumpkinhead. He worked with uh, um, Abel Ferrara a lot, 
or at least I know he I know he shot King of New York. I don't know if he worked with him anymore than that. Um, shot the Rapture. Looks like he shot uh, the. Oh yeah, he shot Body Snatchers. I mean, he shot a ton of films that you've seen. The remake of The Ring, Sugar Hill, Surviving the Game, a GGTMC film we've never done that we probably should do at some point. Yeah, we really should. A very accomplished yeah. DLP. Wow, he just did Snake Eyes in 2021. I didn't know that was him. Oh, wow. That's crazy. California. I don't know if you said Sugar Hill, Boxing Lane. Yeah, tons yeah. of stuff. Man. Tons yeah, of stuff. tons of movies. Oh, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, the uh, Nicolas Cage Pilgrim movie. So, tons of, of movies and also tons of music video stuff. So you get kind of the amalgamation of that sensibility um, with this. And if my dog goes wild in the background, Lone yeah. Ranger, which is a pretty fun looking film. Oh, yeah. No, it looks great. I, I think that's probably the best thing about that movie. Um, anyway, he, shot, he worked with Paul Schrader, I guess. Was Patty Hearst was in the Paul Schrader film. I think it was. Pretty sure it was. Yeah, it is. It's a Paul Schrader film. So there you go. It's an underseen Paul Schrader film nobody really talks about anymore. Um, I, and I think that's that that's one of the strengths of the movie is the cinematography, the lighting, the way the film looks uh, going forward, especially when he starts to lose control. Um, the acting is great in this movie. The Goldblum-Fishburn uh, relationship gets better as the movie goes along. What, what this movie is, and I can see why Criterion put it out, really, uh, in a reissue the last year, late last year, or maybe early this year, I can't remember, but just recently, I can see why they did because what this is is a very solid '90s crime film, and uh, I really don't have a whole lot more to add. I'll kick it over to you, but I am thankful that I went back and looked at this because I hadn't looked at this thing in probably 30 years or close to 30 years, and I remember, you know, I remember being lukewarm on it, even though I got through it. But I remember thinking, you know, some people really dug it, and I'm like, I don't. Why did people dig it so much? I don't. There's something I missed clearly. Well, just watching it this time, I think it just hit me right. It hit me right this time anyway. So, um, yeah, I'm very thankful to kind of go back and look at this, and it's uh, it was a bit of a revelation, to be honest. Nice. I mean, Great. early '90s cinema is a bit of a crapshoot. We've talked about it before. Uh, one of the reasons why is because even in this film, somehow they find a way to work Amanda and Collar into this movie, and. Uh, <laughs> I think of Todd every time I see one now. Um, but at some point, uh, Fishburne's got the Mandarin collar on, a white shirt, Mandarin collar. When he's moving on up, yeah. Yeah. He's, well, yeah. He's uh, staking his, his uh, getting, you know, putting his name out there. And, yeah, he's, he's upgraded to the Mandarin collar, man. <laughs> but I'll kick it over to you. I don't know how many times you had seen this. Not many. I'd seen it twice. This was the second time. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe two and a half, but it definitely not like ten times or anything. So yeah, Criterion did, did this out, and it was. I remember being very pleasantly surprised. Um, that's one of the cool things I, I like about the Criterion Channel. I don't know that this was on the channel first, but I was stumbling around yesterday on the Criterion Channel and noticed they had some Arturo Ripstein films on there. Oh yeah, and yeah, he's a really cool Mexican filmmaker. I like who does kind of noiry stuff and. It just, I think they use that as a springboard to kind of see what what's moving the needle for people before they maybe make the plunge with physical media. And if not, at least you can watch it in a really great restored digital transfer. So, as always, uh, my heart belongs to them. Um, the cast, we we spent a lot of time on it. The cast is quite good in the film, top to bottom. Lots of lots of good faces. Lots of heartbreaking moments. Um, you had hit on everything I would have said about the cast 
Fishburne to me, and I, I don't I, I don't say these words lightly. Lawrence Fishburne in this to me is sort of in that rare air in terms of commanding the screen and is very believable in the command he has over what's happening in the film, much like James Caan does in Thief. Yeah. Before I think start to go off the rails. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's comparable. He has a strong, I mean, just a, a like I said, a quiet kind of swagger, a, a steely, quiet confidence that nothing is going to, you know, shake him. Um, until, unfortunately, things do shake him a little bit, but um, it's just it's a really magnetic performance from him. Um, and, and Goldblum embodies the yuppie, the morally bankrupt yuppie scum who sells coke and has a family in the white picket fence, but um, objectifies and, and sleeps with black women. We haven't even talked about Victoria Dillard. She puts in a great little turn as Betty, um, kind of the in-between between, between uh, Goldblum and Fishburne's characters. She's uh, she's great in the film. Um but yeah, I just I think that he the way he looks at uh, stuff like institutional racism, like I said, and the hypocrisy of of the war on drugs and, and governmental agencies, I can't help but think of those things because he's a black filmmaker. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's 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 commentary, regardless if it's on purpose or not. It's commentary, right? And I can't help but look at that. And I have to think that, that I was going to say Guzman because I was looking at uh, looking at the fucking cast. I can't help but think that Duke had that stuff in mind because, again, he's intelligent enough that he can give you your crime film, but also put stuff in there that is organic enough to it, it doesn't feel preachy or it doesn't jar the film to a, or grind it to a halt. Right. Right. Uh, which is really good. Uh, we talked about triple denim several times. Um, you know, one of the things about this film that I think is very effective is how sudden and how shocking some of the violence is. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, we yeah. see stylistic violence and things starting to build up and they build up, but there's a few really shocking moments of violence in this one involving a child. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> man, I mean, that comes out of nowhere. I know. And it, it shakes. Lawrence Fishburne's character a little bit too like he's he's up you know it's in his face he sees this firsthand and again I think that's commentary on the apathy of society on black on black crime and, and black youth being gunned down in the streets and it just happened so shut suddenly and so shockingly right it's it's a really um, it's not a preachy moment but it, it just it's like a cold splash of water in your face like holy fuck did that just happen yeah yeah, yeah. You know, and then it just things keep going on. This, you know, there's that really that crack house, which it's probably a little movie crack house, much like in um, New Jack City. We get the crack, super crack building that Nino Brown uh, oversees, but it still feels <laughs> gross and ugly. Like Eddie is just he's kind of roughing the woman up, and they're hitting the pipe, and it's just such an ugly existence. That was really popular in the '90s, the super crack tenement building. Man, was it ever. But crack was a thing. I mean, a terrible, terrible yeah. thing, man. But the yeah. super crack house, or the super crack tenement was like... I think we had... Uh, you weren't on the show. You meant to, you were supposed to be on the show back a long time ago, but when we did Alphabet City, that has a that has a big uh, crack house in it as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Alphabet City. Vincent Spano, man. I, I really wish he had gone on to bigger things. It is Vincent Spano in that film, right? Uh, yes, I'm pretty sure. 
Okay, now I was second guessing myself, but no, he's he's great in it. I love that film. Uh, the release that got put out on Blue is uh, it's Fun City, right? Uh, yeah, Fun City, yeah. Yeah, good. So I guess the fish oil and crosswords are kicking in for me finally. <laughs> Thankfully, good stuff. Um, what else do we got? Uh, Clarence Williams, we talked about. I'm glad you keyed in on that too. Again, we talk about um, uh, not Fishburne. We talked about Glenn Turman as sort of being the sixth man. Clarence Williams, poor guy, is like the eighth or ninth man. He's like the, you know, if Robert Parrish was the tenth guy on the bench who just gives you good minutes and is great in the locker room, it feels like Clarence Williams has never had much of a chance to shine. And just the humanity he gives in this is just really, really great, like we'd said. Um, how about this for for '90s reggae fans? Mr. Loverman by Shaba comes on in, in this film. I haven't heard that in a minute. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that is Shaba ranks. He was uh he's popular for a minute, wasn't he? Man, he was. He was. Um, he was one of the reasons I wore so many silk shirts in the '90s. Yeah, being honest, I thought it was the nipple thing, but okay, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. I like the line that someone gives to, I think it's probably Goldblum who says it about Fishburne, you have the gift of fury. It's like this coiled anger with Fishburne. It's very controlled, but you see it beneath the surface. Right. They like that. Right. Uh, And it's the same thing with Goldblum in a way, because once the power transfers, it's almost like once Jeff Goldblum realizes he can use a gun, Mm -hmm. everything changes for the whole whole movie. And the, the evil comes out. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. I don't see him in this film, but there's like this kind of nerdy designer drug guy. Um, and I got to think that was Cole Hauser, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was, but I don't know who that was. But he did this. He did this strange thing with his eyes. I don't know. I don't know who that I don't know who that actor was. I really don't. I'm, I'm kind of looking here, but he's got like a, like a minute. He's in the film with glasses and. What's great is one of Gallego's, Gallego's bodyguards is Branscombe Richmond. Let's shout out Branscombe Richmond. Yeah, good old Branscombe Richmond, but I, I don't remember him much. I'm sure he's in the background there, and I was looking for him, but I don't remember. in the movie theater. Yeah, 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 he might have been. He, uh, he's he got a unique look, right? He's an interesting-looking guy. He's great, man. Uh, I can't find Cole Hauser. I told my wife it was. I'm not going to tell her otherwise. I'll, I'll let her think that was her boy, Rip. So. Yeah, Rip. Yeah, yeah. Hey, is his name Rip? Is that his name on the show? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Motherfucker stole it from No Holds Barred, man. Yeah, yeah. He's a. That's Rip. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Rip. <laughs> Come on now. That's real Rip. Um, what else do we got? Uh, oh, just that that line from um, Fishburne's uh, superior there. We just talked about him, and of course, now I forgot his name after I tooted my own horn about the fish. Uh, oil. The Charles Martin Smith thing? Charles Martin Smith's character, when him and Fishburne are talking, he says, oh, you ever kill anybody? He's like, are you kidding? I went to Yale to avoid this shit. Or I went to Princeton to avoid this shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, the hypocrisy, right? People yeah. in power. Yeah. And those in the front lines in danger with, with really no care. Um, the crack baby talk really was intense man like that was a pretty intense moment just thinking stopping and thinking about that it's, yeah uh, pretty pretty sad and brutal yeah really sad really brutal uh i can keep going on i'm not going to but to me this also just kind of the parallels of vietnam um were there especially in that whole princeton thing um we get a switchblade 
of course, trip, Mr. Triple Denim. Oh yeah, Switchblade. Switch yeah, you gotta cut. Gotta, yeah, they always gotta cut that cocaine open right in the middle. I don't know why that bothers me so much. It seems like it'd be a mess. That's why I think it seems like the most impractical thing. Like if, if yeah. I'm opening, it's like being a box a ca- of pancake batter. Am I opening the slit like near the bottom? So no. so there you go. There's a perfect example. I was just gonna use the same example. I just made pancakes the other day, and I thought to myself. I wouldn't open these in the middle. Why would I open a, a kilo of cocaine in the middle? Why would I do that? There's more value in a kilo of yes. cocaine than there is in a $2 box of pancake batter. Well, yeah. What am I doing? Sure. Maybe not emotionally, but financially. <laughs> Certainly not emotionally. I agree. Yeah. Those pancakes, uh, they hug you for life. But, uh, yeah, man. Because uh, <laughs> we had some the other day. I was like, well, let's have some pancakes. And we had some pancake mix. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's, let's, let's go for it here. And uh, I'm very much a stickler for the. I won't. I won't do pancakes unless you know you you, you have dairy and eggs. I don't. Yeah. Like I don't None do the, this water bullshit. Yeah, I don't do the water shit. That that stuff's that's amateur hour. That is amateur hour, man. Come on, <laughs> put some real shit in your pancake. Yeah, I'm gonna have a pancake. I'm gonna have a damn pancake. <laughs> yep. That's right. That's right. That's right. You see what I did there, boy? <laughs> I, He's he's not too far removed from JD in some of the some of the moments in this film. He's no, but it's more horrific because it's his son. Yes, yeah, versus, oh, it's terrible. Yes, versus like fellow <laughs> kind of goon, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Those are all my notes, man. I can kind of go on, but you yeah. covered a lot of fun minutia and cast stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'll make a break for me. Man, I want to go with that bathroom scene because I love it so much. Oh man, I do. I really want to go with it because it's so ridiculous and it's so <laughs> it's so over the top. And like, it's one of those scenes. It's another one of those scenes where I'm hoping nobody comes into the the movie room. I'm watching it. <laughs> you know, yeah, you get a man pissing on another man. I'll tell you, the crime of that scene was pissing on those suede loafers. <laughs> oh man, it, it's awful. And like you said, the it's not a it's not a flow as much as it's a pour. He he's pouring it out. <laughs> yeah. But what's weird is his shirt. I don't know if that was sweat stains on a silk shirt or that was the design. As we have done this show for 13 years, going on 14, I have to think that people pissing on each other has really become like part of our... I mean, if if we had IMDb keywords, I'm afraid what they would be. Golden shower would be in there. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, essentially that's what you get here uh, on suede shoes. Well, that's what Fishburn gets. That's what Fishburn gets, yeah. Um, but I'm going to go with the car chase because I think the car chase is really, it's not just a fun, exciting moment with a great, uh, kind of payoff, but it's also the moment when these two guys realize they're in deep now, now they have to go all in. They don't have a choice. And I like that. I like that. Uh, I like that moment. Uh, and obviously Goldblum's character likes it a lot because he really kind of, you know, he, he gets that moment of power and he just takes it out on Felix Barbosa. And, uh, you know, he's going to make him jump out of the car. And it, it's, it goes on for too long in some ways. But I think that's the point. The point is that for it to be almost torturous. Yeah, it's so, unbe- it becomes unbearable, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, like I said, it has a really good payoff. Really great payoff. Um, uh, MVT, I'm going to go with Duke on this one. I could give it to Fishburne for several things. I could give it to Goldblum for several things. But out of Duke's filmography, I think this is his best film. And uh, at least of the ones I've seen. I haven't seen The Cemetery Club. It's not really. It's not really that, aimed aimed at me. That Olympia Dukakis jam. Yeah. Although. I mean, I do, I do have a thing for Olympia Dukakis. I'm not gonna lie. Do you? 
do you? <laughs> I did back in the All day. Right. No shame in your game there, man. <laughs> but what's funny is, not to digress here, but there are a couple other people below the surface in that film that are right in our wheelhouse. Because I was looking at that, I'm like, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Danny, Bernie Casey's in it. Mm-hmm. Danny Aiello. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he, he got a good cast together for that. Yeah. And I remember, I, th- I think he got some critical praise for it. I can't remember if it was a hit or not, though. Uh, but I'll go with him. I'll go with him on this one. Uh, I'm gonna give this an eight out of ten, man. This is a this is a really solid crime movie, and uh, one that I'll I don't know if there's uh, bonus features on the disc or not. I bought this digitally for like six dollars, but I'd still spend money on the disc, and I might do that at the next Criterion sale. I think I will. I really want to get an interview with um, with Duke, and you know, I hope Fishburne's involved, obviously, and I don't know if Goldblum would be, but. I would like to see some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, Duke's very articulate, and he has a lot to say. Uh, my make or break, I'm going to go with the opening scene, man. Like Again, I didn't remember it. It's very powerful to me. It, it opens in the snow, Christmas Day. It just, oh, yeah, it's really good. This kid's life yeah. gets fucking shattered. Mm-hmm. Shattered. Just, just put yourself in his shoes. Yeah. Right? I mean, just nightmare. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. Yeah. Um, and again, Terman just... Is like I'm going to get five minutes, and I am going to be just thunderous in these five minutes. So that's a really powerful scene. Uh, my MVT, you know what's funny, man? I want to give, like I said earlier, I want to give Duke his flowers and be like, man, you made a great film, you made a great crime film, and he did. But I really got to give it to Fishburne because, as much as Duke's more than deserving, and I'm, we probably have more of a chance to give it to Fishburne again than Duke. But I just feel like Fishburne is so good in this film, so good that I I got to give it to him. Yeah, um, yeah. My score is an eight out of ten, just like yours. I think this is one of those films that not enough people talk about. It's in that weird sort of like ninety to ninety six or ninety eight, where kind of films are in limbo a bit with accessibility. I had said to you off the air, I had a hell of a time finding this for rent i had to get it through google play and stream it onto my phone uh on my tv from my phone it was just a nightmare but i'm gonna get the criterion disc and uh and remedy that in the future nice nice all right that's our thoughts on deep cover i gotta be honest with everybody right now i have no idea what we're doing next week uh i didn't even think i didn't even think that far ahead i got some ideas in my head but now I'm, i'm second guessing myself so maybe i'll just make it a surprise the Cemetery Club, here we come. <laughs> it's the Bill Duke Power Hour. Yeah. Uh, the GGTMC. I really just don't know. I mean, I think I got something. I, you know what? I'm just going to pick something uh, because it's kind of been on my mind to revisit because he just passed away. Uh, Douglas Trumbull just passed away. Yeah, big loss. Yeah. Big loss. So we sometimes, sometimes we miss these, but we try to kind of commemorate people passing away by talking about a film they did. I think... I think a genre we don't cover a lot on this show is sci-fi, right? So I think maybe we should do Silent Running. Oh, I've meant to cover this. was on my original roadmap, dude. Yeah, yeah. So I think we should do that one. I think that's that. That's what we'll do. Um, Arrow put a Blu-ray out not too long ago, so I can kind of throw the Arrow uh, sponsorship out there. But I, I, I've been wanting to revisit this anyway. And then, unfortunately, he passed away, and so that really kind of kicked it up a notch. And, again, we don't do a whole lot of sci-fi on here, so I think it'll be fun to talk about it. I agree. Nice yeah. choice. Yeah. We'll get into that. Um, all right. I, I don't have anything else. We want to thank everybody that's listening and uh, hang in there. And 
We hope you enjoy the show. Thank our friends. You know, we got the Not A Bomb guys. We got the Cult of Muscle guys. We don't say all that stuff too much anymore, but I love all you guys. I hope you all are all doing well. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, I think I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.